0: Hello and welcome to Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm excited to be back in the Snyderverse with none other than John Mills.
1: It's been a while. It's been a while. Yes. I'm glad we could find an excuse to come back and uh, resurrect Snyder Cuts as we... Well, I mean, frankly, as we wait for his next directorial thing, which he released the, uh, you know, some production art having to do with Rebel Moon. And I believe that my snarky response uh, to you that, that held a lot of my own uh, true opinion was, boy, good thing they turned down his Star Wars script. Huh? Yeah. Wasn't it a good good idea <laughs> that they turned that down, Matt? Wasn't it great that we didn't get a Zack Snyder Star Wars movie? Just yeah. look at that production art. I just said, yeah. boy, what a bullet we dodged.
0: Wait, seriously. Um, well, and so this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but I, I do want to ask you a question about that. Um, you know, this is Snyder Cut, so we can talk about all things Snyder. Indeed. Don't you feel like from the work that we've been through here over the last year, really diving in deep to his work from, you know, his music videos all the way to, you know, the last thing we had talked about was, um, Army of the Dead. Yes. And I mean and and gosh what we're going to dive into here with uh, mm. Army of Thieves which is is not directed by him but is in his universe and is based off of his characters and a story by him. So, all that said, it does seem like to me of all the directors that are out there these days in the mainstream, Snyder does seem to be the one that has the most connection with mythology and mythos. And creating characters and universes and working in those places. And it, it just feels like he would be kind of perfect for Star Wars. Am I wrong? Or, or am I just drinking the Snyder Kool-Aid? Or I don't know.
1: A little from column A, a little from column B. I, I do. I think that you're right. He. I don't think he's singular in the sense that he's the only one touching on the mythology. True. Stuff. He's, True. Nolan is definitely in that category. There's no question. Nolan, though... What I think is really interesting about the two of them, and the whole reason I think it's so interesting that Nolan uh, basically was producer on his, uh, his DC movies, is that in a sense, I see them as they both have a uh, plug into that mythological storytelling sort of thing, the, you know, the necessary of fairy tales and fables and the things mm-hmm. that make up film. But Nolan comes at it with his brain, and Snyder comes at it with his heart. And so they're flip sides of the same coin. And I know that's infuriating anybody foolish enough to stumble onto a show called Snyder Cuts and not expect us to have positive opinions about Zack Snyder. Yet there it is. And it's uh, it's a territory, I think, that's really interesting because you can see Nolan is coming from the tradition of somebody like Hitchcock. Hitchcock, you could argue, was sterile. You could argue that Kubrick was sterile. But they were getting at something very thought-provoking and important as far as, uh, you know, the the storytelling tradition goes. Snyder comes from a much more gritty uh you know visceral type of filmmaking that exists out there. I don't know specifically what previous filmmakers I'd put him in the camp with, but it's really you know honestly it would be somebody like McTiernan who I think is somebody who's been forgotten over time, mm, who revolutionized yes, the yeah. action genre yep. and yep. he really had that visceral like strap in we're going to have some important, interesting things going on, like Predator is great sci-fi. Die Hard mm-hmm. is, in fact, a Christmas movie, not because of a dude bro joke, but because of the fact that it's a guy on Christmas Eve learning to open up his heart and, and you know, be more right. loving toward right. the world sort of thing with an action veneer on it. So probably, I guess, that would be the right camp to put Snyder into.
0: Yeah, well, and he, he also feels akin to, you know, people that, like, I, I'm just thinking of people Lucas worked with and looked up to. You know, Mm. like Milius and that kind of stuff. Like, those are the type of, like, I feel like he would have been a part of that group back in the day, right? You know, and he would have been, I think, somebody who he wouldn't have been the Spielberg of the group. He would have been more like, uh, the nicer John Milius. <laughs> now, well, <laughs> uh, I
1: mean, honestly, in terms of nicer, that's a low bar to set. Um, this is true Milius, with John Milius, Milius. That's absolutely correct. He, 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 he was not the most genteel person in the world uh, through his career, not taking anything away from his work. Uh, you know, not, not a bit, not a bit. But, you know, he was definitely a person. He has a definite reputation as a personality. Um, I can uh, also say that It's interesting you call harken back to that group because there's very much a where would Snyder fit where on the spectrum there, because I think Spielberg falls into the you can see Abrams coming from the Spielberg camp, never quite being Spielberg, but wanting to be like him where it's a it's more about fun and adventure and those sorts of things. I think that Lucas is definitely in that very deep camp. But he's Lucas is an odd bird because it's very emotional, but he's hyper intellectual at the same time. Right, So it's like yeah. that's very unique. So, yeah, well, it's and, almost I mean, like, like, like Snyder has the emotion of Scorsese wrapped up in him, too. Uh,
0: yeah, I was going to say something like that or, uh, you know, uh, some of the roughness of Brian De Palma, you know, uh, mm, I think of as well mm, in that, mm-hmm. that group of filmmakers. Um, and even sure. I think yeah, some of the melodrama of Coppola you know and so oh, yeah certainly i mean just it's, it's it's just strange to me that you know um he he was not given that chance cuz when when i think about directors who, who could plug into the lucasian view of the world and then yeah. create something through his own lens at the same time Snyder could do it so um but you know we'll be excited when uh, his his movie rebel moon comes out and we'll be talking about it so thank you for uh, enjoying that uh you know, cold open basically here of of Snyder cuts. And (laughs) um, before we dive into the talking about army of thieves, we do want to remind you, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And if you happen to be on Apple podcasts or even Spotify, you can rate us. uh, And of course, uh, you can review us. So we'd really appreciate that. That's going to help the show grow as more and more people are using Spotify. And I've got to say, John, I'm not a Spotify user at all. But I've looked at their, like, podcast setup. It's so much cleaner and so much nicer than Apple Podcasts. So, I mean, I'm not even a user, but I, the setup is gorgeous.
1: I, I'm terrified to uh, say anything in agreement because I'm pretty sure uh, since I have an iPhone, Apple just heard us. <laughs> it's and, true. And um, I'm <laughs> expecting everything in my house to stop working by tomorrow morning. So, thanks a <laughs> lot, Matt. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it.
0: And, of course, uh, you know, you could find us, as I mentioned, anywhere you get your podcasts. Please do follow us on Twitter, at The602Club. We're on Instagram, at The602ClubTFM. Club TFM. You can also find us on Letterboxd, as well, under The602Club. Uh, of course, you can find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash FM. We're online at trek.fm. The listeners-only discussion group you can join, called the Babel Conference on Facebook. Um, all of those places, and... This is the very last show that's going to appear in the feed of the 602 Club in 2021. And as we move into 2022, we could absolutely use your help to make sure that the network can keep producing all of these shows. And so please go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you could be part of our team. We would really appreciate it. And it makes a world of difference to us uh, if you would uh, make us a part of your contributions every month. Every little bit really helps.
1: It does indeed, and I can promise, I can swear on this uh, stack of carpet samples right here that not one dime is used toward my burgeoning gold chain collection. Uh,
0: this um, is true. This is true. Not at all. Uh, actually, not it's not, all. not used towards anything other than us making sure that we can pay for all this, <laughs> the sources that we need to make sure the podcasts come to you, and it also keeps all these podcasts ad-free, so... Um, uh, and you know what?
1: No, but before you jump on there, I want to say that that is more important than Anybody really understands the pressure for advertising on podcasts is insane. It is through the roof because they finally figured out that we're on an island right now and anything that marketers can monetize, they're going to come after. So if you want to keep your podcasts ad-free and flowing smoothly and running, please go over to Patreon. Please help out the network. Please help out this show. It would be greatly appreciated.
0: Yes, absolutely, and so, well, John, this is interesting, because, you know, as we're a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, this is not something that he directs, and yet, as we mentioned, the Army of Thieves is in his Army of the Dead universe, it's all based off of things that come directly from him, it's based off a story by Zack Snyder, Uh, and so... Really interestingly, I, I wanted to ask just straight up front because uh, M- Matthias, and I think you would say his last name is Schreinghofer, is actually the director. I'm making my best attempt here at that. Um, and so because we've spent all this time talking about Zack Snyder, and, and the last time we got together here uh, on this bonus show, we talked about uh, Army of the Dead. What did you think of the directorial effort here by Matthias, and did it kind of fit within the universe that Snyder has created with the Army of series?
1: Unquestionably. I think that the visual style on this matches up closely enough without parroting it. There are certain shots where I was like, I can definitely tell uh, that this belongs to that universe. It has a visual style that's its own, but at the same time, very much plugs in. Like if you did – if I – if you stripped all of the credits off so that I don't know who directed it, I don't know who shot it, I would say this looks like Army of the Dead and in a complimentary way. It looks like it belongs in that universe. Now, some people could take that as a uh, negative and say, oh, we'll make your own look and sort of – but I would argue that you're at least somewhat obliged when you're within – a, uh, a connected universe to have some sort of tie that makes it clear. Like Marvel movies are all colored the same right. way. Right. Right. There, there's a uniformity there of style so that even no matter how unique the director is, you can still look at it and say Marvel movie. There are certain things they don't do certain things they do. And I think that this follows the same sort of thing. I mean, did you feel the same way? Did you, did you see it as a similar enough? Sort of mm-hmm.
0: thing. One of the things that um, I was really struck by was the visual language of the film and how it it did feel a little bit like Army of the Dead. But at the same time, you know, they're not using the same lens that they did there, which we talked a lot about in that episode. You know how that didn't quite work as well for you, but I loved it. And and, and here, honestly, I think the lens has a lot of warmth and a lot of clarity um, and really, uh, it stood out to me just how gorgeous the film looks. Um, the shot composition is wonderful. Uh, I, I think the coloring of this film is is gorgeous. Everything looks pristine in it, in in a really incredible way. I mean, they they take you to these beautiful locations in like Germany, and the Czech Republic, and other places, and they make them all feel like postcards, places you want mm-hmm. places you want to visit. And so, I really liked that. And I think you're absolutely right in that it felt like it fit within the same universe without being derivative of what Snyder had done. Um, And I think, you know, uh, Matthias really did something great here in, in the sense too that. One of the things that stuck out to me about the direction that this film took is that not only did it kind of feel like army of the dead, but to me, this almost had the same feeling of what I wish the original suicide squad had turned out to be because, Mm. you know, we have some of the same like fun lettering that comes up, you know, very much like that original suicide squad, which army of the dead kind of does too. Um, But there was something about the way this film did those things that really worked for me. And so I think that was another really good choice and, you know, they're doing kind of the classic heist movie in many ways, but it had a heightened sense of reality to it. A little bit like a comic book movie, and maybe that's because we get a little bit of the zombie influence in the sense that that's happening in the States right now, and they're trying to contain it. But otherwise, this is very grounded, and and yet, at the same time, they were having some fun with it. and And I was just thinking to myself, man... This is kind of what I think we all hoped the original Suicide Squad was going to be and then wasn't.
1: I think that's a very interesting uh, you know, take to have on it. Uh, I, I, I do. I, I think that's very unique. I can see exactly what you're saying. What I really hook on and what you said there, though, isn't so much the Suicide Squad thing. And I do like the lettering. The first time I really noticed it was mm-hmm. when right at the beginning they say Berlin, and i I saw it in the background, and I didn't notice it for a half a second, and I went, "Oh, that's cool." So yeah. like I paid attention to it through the rest, and it was just very it was a such a fun flare, and done so well uh mm-hmm. with this with each each iteration of the lettering reflecting the place uh, where it was. I thought that was very well done. Um, what I hook on with uh what you just said is that the zombie thing is happening in the states and he sees a news thing and it invades his nightmares but you see how world events don't immediately catch on you would think right. that this everybody would be freaking out immediately we've we've seen arguably in recent history that virus news from elsewhere can have an immediate global impact right Whereas this sort of harkens to what I'll go ahead and call the before time, where it was happening Mm -hmm. somewhere else. So it was like, yeah, I might be tangentially aware of it, but I wasn't really paying attention, per se. And I think they did a really good job of having it be there without being dominant. It's too easy for a prequel to fall into the trap of becoming becoming obsessed with where the story's going. And it never does that. And I, I admire this for it. In terms of the visual flair that you were talking about. I can honestly say that this is one of those Netflix movies where I finally saw it. And I said, boy, I wish I'd seen this on a big screen. Yeah. I think yeah. that this would have looked beautiful in a theater. Mm-hmm. And for the... F- You know, like it's very rare where I see something and I say, I couldn't, you know, I'll draw a comparison. People might not like this comparison, but I saw Matrix Resurrections on my, you know, relatively nice television at home. And I said, okay, that's fine. It it looks fine. Right. This is one where I watched it and I said, I wish I'd seen this in in the big format theater. Yeah. This would have been really nice to see there.
0: You know, I like that you point that out because, you know, having gotten the opportunity because it played here at a theater to see Army of the Dead on the big screen, I did Lucky. feel that same way watching this thinking, wow, this movie looks great. And, and I have a great setup at home as well. I have a good sound system and everything, so I'm not complaining about that. But it, it just this movie looked so good on my screen. I'm thinking, wow, this would be fantastic on a big screen screen. Uh, where all these colors can really pop and you could really be immersed in these scenes. So, no, I heartily agree with that. And I think there was... I, I want, I'm I glad you touched on that because both of these movies, um, and I think this is really special, but especially at just talking about uh, Army of Thieves, this doesn't feel like the quote-unquote Netflix movie. Um, There was yeah. never a point like, you know, we've both seen uh, Red Notice, which it's mildly amusing. Um, And yet there are so many times in the film where you could tell that they're not in a place. They're just on some kind of green screen where True. they're being, you know, projected into that place. This doesn't have that feel ever. It always feels like we're in a location. Uh, and I think because of that, it adds to the reality Um, And the feel that this is a real, like, quote-unquote, a real film, you know? And I I really appreciated that about this film because so many of those Netflix-type movies or movies made for streaming, they get them made very much on the cheap, and part of that is that we're not really traveling to locations and actually filming in those locations, and we're faking it. And you can tell, here, I don't feel the faking it, and... It makes a lot of difference it does
1: i i think it does i you can do that sort of thing I, red notice it's fair to sort of beat up on it a little bit there um because of the fact that it's i mean it is unquestionably um, a smaller scale production you know and you can delve into the whole arguments about like oh well if they shot it on the volume that they're doing for the star wars shows it would look a lot more real because those places (laughs) aren't on location but they look like they exist um and i i think that i think that what it really is is that there's a sense of um i i struggle for the word but there's a sense of weight to the surroundings Mm mm-hmm there's a scent of, a sense of environment, and that's what's missing from something like Red Notice. Yeah. That's what's yep. missing from Six Underground. Six Underground oh. is shot <laughs> on real locations, and I did not care for that movie one bit. And there were uh, moments yeah. where I watched this movie, and I said, this is what Six Underground wanted to be mm-hmm. and couldn't achieve, yeah. which becomes baffling because Michael Bay is unquestionably Long term, he's going to remain a legend, whether you like his movies or not. Sorry, folks. He's going to be a legendary director because of the impact that he had on cinema. Mm -hmm. And Bay couldn't pull off something I wanted to see on the big screen when he directed for Netflix. But Matthias, let's just say Matthias, um, he pulls it off. And I I think that this is it's an achievement in a sense, because just like Army of the Dead, I wanted to see that on the big screen, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't have expected that. I, I think that it yeah. it exceeds expectations, as you might say, in a year-end eva- evaluation for somebody. They exceeded expectations with the visual language here.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right in that, and um, you know, it, so it's always interesting when you get a prequel to a film, and I think one of the things in that, uh, I, I, you know heard deborah snyder say this the idea that the prequel here is in a completely different genre is very different um you know uh, there we have a straight-up zombie movie uh, and here it's it's a it is a heist movie kind of a romantic comedy type of film it's much lighter for the most part uh and so how did that work for you building in this universe and, you know, going a completely different direction, really. I mean, they both are heists in the in a sense, but this is so much lighter and, and has such a sweeter tone to it uh, in the heart of the film as well. Um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I could, I'm talking about it and like, well, the Army of the Dead has a lot of heart, too, because you have the whole father-daughter relationship. So I don't know. What did, what did you think about how this fits?
1: I, I, I like you go down this road. Because have you ever seen the original uh, The Italian Job starring Michael Caine? I haven't seen the original, unfortunately. Okay. I've never seen the remake. Fortunately? Question mark. But I have seen the original with Michael Caine.
0: I mean, I and, liked the remake. So, you know. Oh, well, maybe it's good. Yeah, I don't it was know. good. I don't know.
1: I don't know. And Mark Wahlberg's in it. So I know he's breathless a lot. But that's true. I think that uh, this is a heist movie in the tradition of The Italian Job. And uh, whereas Army of the Dead is a heist movie in the tradition of Ocean's Eleven, where there's a big build and then there's a payoff at the end and there's the intercutting and all those sorts of things. So this is very much more in the comedic heist subgenre, if you will. Uh, And I think it works very well. I really do. I think that, um, I mean, I love this character from Army of the Dead. I think I'm on record as saying that. I think we're both on record as saying that. He was just uh, delightful in, in Army of the Dead. And I was skeptical. I won't lie. I was skeptical that this character could be the focus of an entire movie like this. But they pulled it off. And there were moments where I was legitimately laughing out loud at what was happening on screen. The last time I laughed out loud, like legitimate, you could tell I was really, I wasn't just having a you know a half second laugh, but like I was chuckling through the whole thing uh, at certain moments, was when I had my rewatch of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles back at Thanksgiving time, <laughs> okay? <laughs> now, I'm not saying this is an all-time classic like that, but did you find yourself laughing out loud during this was it or was this more of like a ha 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 or was it like actual laughter going on uh in certain scenes
0: there were some moments that i felt were you know really funny to it and a lot of it had to do with the banter between the the characters um, and I, I don't know why I find this funny, but the moment where he is like, he says something like Johnny new guy. And she's like, that's not a saying. <laughs> I just think that's <laughs> funny like because he does that quite a bit where he, you know, in English, he doesn't know the idioms to use. And so he'll make up his own and, and they can be pretty funny. Uh, and so things like that, I, I did find quite humorous in the film and I, I think, One of the things that made this enjoyable was the way in which the film, and this is going to sound weird coming from me, but it it realizes when to take itself seriously and when not to, and it navigates that tone so effortlessly, and that's just not something that happens very often, and I think that's one of the things that did fit this as a prequel, in the universe of Army of the Dead because I thought that was also a movie that was, you know, it's mixing a lot of different genres and I thought it did a lot of that really well and this does too. And, and that's, that's exactly what it needed to do to connect itself inside this universe, I think, as a prequel.
1: I will go, uh, I will go to where I think this is uh, very much demonstrated, what you're talking about, about straddling that line. And something that got legitimate belly laugh out of me was when they go in uh, to the underground safe. I, I forget which one it is. I think it's I think it's the secret. But when they go in and she starts fighting the two guards. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's and great. she's fighting them is a beautiful. It reminded me it had shades of three hundred, but mm-hmm. it definitely felt like a Zack Snyder fight scene, just a little bit different because there was the blood spray and there was the camera movement and there was the slow motion and there was all of this stuff going on and I thought it was just really a a great tribute to the way Snyder does action beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the you know and it, it's going through and then when the sound comes back to the quote unquote real world he's doing that beautiful squeal that he does <laughs> when he's in a bad situation. Yes. And it <laughs> It was it's such so a good. perfect use of getting your adrenaline up and then giving you a laugh so that the laugh is a, a like an actual release payoff at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And you just... I mean, I'm smiling thinking about it now because every time I hear that scream that he has, it's like that in and of itself makes the movie worth it so far as I'm concerned because it's just so much fun. I, and, and that's the thing is... This is a movie, and I think Army of the Dead sort of falls in this category as well, where, uh, you know, uh, a mutual of ours named Craig, he he has a saying that he likes to roll out every so often where he goes, do you remember fun? And it was so great to watch something where I could say, I remember fun. Mm -hmm. I remember when it was okay to make something that just, yeah, you were just having a good time. It wasn't trying to change the world. It wasn't trying to change your point of view on anything. Mm-hmm. It was just
0: having fun. I really, I like that point, and it, it it's interesting. I think you know, many people uh, might find it strange, you know, coming from me because I, I tend to be somebody who talks about how they really enjoy, you know, their movies to be serious and all those things, and and much of what I like about what Zack Snyder does, especially with his superhero movies, as we've talked about here on Snyder Cuts, is very much that. But I I think the beauty of, you know, Army of the Dead and now Army of Thieves is that we can truly see, you know, Zack Snyder uh, and his, you know, friends have great senses of humor. And, you know, if you been watching any of his movies you know that that's the case you know he he's not above putting something funny in his films when it it works and i think these type of movies were meant to to have much more levity to them while at the same time you know um having some seriousness and one of the things i think that really makes this work is there's some great relationships here between the cast playing off one of no, one another and giving them enough of a backstory uh, together and everything to make this work. And I mean, to me, this was just a great group of people to spend time with and it was so well cast. like I loved everybody in the movie. I thought they were fantastic. They all play their parts to perfection. Um, and and not only that, but I mean I just I found some people like, I wasn't really uh, familiar with Rubio Fee uh, who plays Corinna and I thought she was great. You know, I, I want to see her in more things, you know, I've loved, you know, Nathalie Emmanuel for a long time cause she's in great uh, Game of Thrones, but she was fantastic here, you know? And so, um, Matthias is, is fantastic. I mean, I already loved him in in you know, uh, Army of the Dead and I think he's great here too. So, uh, you know, this is just a great cast who played off well, each other really well and had a lot of chemistry together.
1: Uh, I agree about the chemistry. I do think that uh, Ruby Ophi, I don't know her from anything else. Or if I do, I don't remember her mm-hmm. from anything else. But I'll remember her now. And when when she shows up somewhere, I will remember her. Um, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. So, Natalie Emmanuel, great job. And I'll, I'll look for your star to rise. But I think that uh, one of the scene stealers was actually, uh, and I'm, if I mess up his name, I apologize. Uh, Guz Khan as Rolf.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought that he was a scene stealer.
1: I really liked him. He, he does such great acting with his eyes where he communicates a lot, even in the scenes where he's not saying anything. I got to tip my hat to Stuart Martin as Brad Cage, because I detected in him, and I want to get your take on this, I detected in him a little bit of a Zack Snyder roasting going on, because he had a similar sort of look to Snyder, and it almost feels as if uh, Schweighiffer, Hoffer, was doing a sort of subtle little joke that this guy who headed up this group reminded him of snyder as a director on the set of army of the dead
0: did you get any vibes like that no but that's really fascinating to to think about now and now i'm like oh well i need to watch the movie for a third time uh to 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 look at that because that's really interesting and and just being the the really gung-ho you know you know everything to the wall type of of guy you know right. um, and there's there's no can't. It's just go, go, go. I, no, I could I can see that as your you're bringing that up, and that does I think make a lot of sense. And you know what's funny about him too is just like I I just love them kind of making fun of that type of character in this in the sense of like the guy who is the ultimate action hero. Yeah. Who He's so obsessed with the idea of being an action hero. He names himself Brad Cage. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, brilliant that, stuff. It that was just great. And I I I love that too because he also just plays the guy who doesn't understand why people don't really love him. Like why they just put up with him. He's that kind of character. And, uh, you know, I think that that's really interesting because, you know, this this is about a movie about in in many ways it, it we you know, we've talked about on assembling Avengers, you know, the the Joss Whedon found family that we also get in Guardians of the Galaxy type of thing. And this is like that, too. And, you know, he's the character in the found family who doesn't her who pretends to care about the family, but doesn't. He just cares about himself, Mm. he just cares about the money, and he pretends to love people, maybe even thinks he does love people, but he doesn't actually even know what that is. Really, the only thing he loves is himself. And, you know, the rest of these characters don't have that, and you just get Rolf, you know, who just finds himself on the wrong side of things and makes the wrong choice, uh, to which, you know you don't see um him being able to get kind of the redemption um and i just i i like that i like that there's a lot of nuance to these characters and they're they're doing a good job i think of creating characters that i want to see more of and i'm what i loved about this cast is that i'm hoping that you know with them doing an army of the dead sequel that we'd also get maybe some of these characters showing up in that Army of the Dead sequel now. Like, I want Gwendolyn to show up. I want Corinna to show up. You know, I think that would be fantastic to have them be people that come into the film. And, you know, I guess whether or not Dieter shows up, we don't know because the last time we saw him, it looked like he was going to get eaten by zombies. So, Mm -hmm. um, but this, this cast is just... They're, they're really dynamic. They're really fun to watch on screen.
1: I agree. I, I think that they're very well done. And I think that that's one of the strengths of the movie. And there are weaknesses here. Uh, you know, this, this, this can't be just like an hour-long love fest or anything like that. But, you know, just to sort of like close out that thing is what I think this movie does, it's very smart. And it's from a very basic script structural level. Is it keeps the scope small in terms of the characters you have to follow. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems with cinema nowadays is that there's this driving need, this impetus to make everything too big. And everybody's got a name and everybody's got a this and everybody's got a that. Yes, there are crowd scenes, those sorts of things. But at no point was I struggling to keep up with which character was which. Everybody was distinct enough. In, in that sense, it's actually it, it, it's like a Snyder movie where you can follow the stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you know, every character has a distinct personality, but that's actually a strength that uh, I will often point to, uh, with the exception of Avatar, to Cameron movies, where the characters always have a very distinct personality you know who's who in the pecking order, the puzzle goes together. And it, it's it's a great strength of this movie. Now, the, the one thing I want to ask you about because it is something that I think was probably the weaker piece of everything was the uh the Delacroix uh who's uh Jonathan Cohen played really well. But That plot of the Interpol detective following them, I don't think it had the payoff that they were intending. I don't think it really reached that tension level that I was looking for in somebody following them. And it's not the fault of the Mm -hmm. actors. I think that it's a structural thing where it was a little bit nebulous about why he cared so much about catching these people as opposed to anybody else. Right. I think that could have been teased out a little bit more. Do you agree or do you disagree on that?
0: No, I do agree. Um, I, I That was the one part of the story where I do think, you know, you kind of mentioned the fact that it's not a perfect film and I, I think that that's one of the places where its imperfection does show uh, in the sense that that's not really enough of a focus and or there's not, like you said, there's not that reason given as to, I mean, other than he got shot in the butt by one of them, which right. i you know i think maybe having just maybe one flashback or something to uh you know his interactions with this crew and the fact that he's been after them for years and has been unable um, to take them down would be well advised
1: yeah i you know i'd go a step further and i'd offer that maybe just maybe there's an iteration of this script Where it's not a necessary subplot. That if you wanted to make a sequel to this, you have Delacroix in here, and this is the (laughs) incident that drives him to distraction. Where Matthias gets away, and it's the one person of the crew, and he wants to follow him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's less of a burden of backstory that I think isn't fleshed out adequately which plays into the motivation could play into, you know, it's, it's sort of the Mace Windu approach. Mace Windu has a very small role in the Phantom Menace, but it pays off in the later movies. I think that Delacroix would have been better served as a character by being that sort of Mace Windu thing where it's a very small role, but it pays off in the later movies. If there are sequels with him in it, but It's sort of the the promise of the character. And uh, the reason I specifically call out the performance is because I think Cohen does a really good job. I like what he's doing here. Mm -hmm. It's just it doesn't mesh with the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not his fault. I think it's the fault of the the structure.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you in the sense that I I think that it's a little bit more about them not just giving him enough character development uh, in the film. And, and, and maybe just enough time. Uh, and I do think that that, you know, makes a difference um, in 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 the movie. And um, I, I was interested because you had brought it up and, and I think it's worth talking about. Was there anything else besides that character um, that, you know, didn't work for you as well as you'd maybe hoped with this film?
1: I think it was a little long for its runtime. I think that uh, maybe it, it speaks specifically to that aspect of it, that specific subplot. I think you could have cut about 10 or 15 minutes from here uh, just by reorganizing the script a little bit. But where I struggle with giving it a criticism is that the core cast is so very charismatic that probably the only thing I'd really ping it on is that it's a little too expected to go down the betrayal road that it does about you know oh we we dumped him off and we got it like that resolves itself a little too cleanly and it's a little too expected to have you know the the big dude bro character Dump him off and have the like, they're, they're, and and that the the love story works very well mm-hmm. because the actors are so they have such good chemistry. Mm-hmm. But it's again, it's so expected. Like it, it's, it's. I know that these beats are coming, mm-hmm. and so I just automatically, as an audience member, I don't plug into them the same way I should. Sure, because I know they're coming. It's the magician mm-hmm. doing the same trick I've seen before, and so it's a little harder to impress me.
0: Mm-hmm. That that does make sense, and I think I understand that. You know, I I think one of the things that I I wasn't um, I, I do think I probably could have had this be just a little bit shorter, tightening up just a little bit. Either that, or I think uh, you could have made it a little bit longer if you were going to spend a little bit more time with the detective um so that that would have been a plus for the movie um but you know i i wanted to ask you about that story point just at the end you know with her uh choosing to give up herself for sebastian aka dieter um Did you feel like that worked in the movie? Did you feel like that romance was earned in the sense um, that obviously what I liked, I did like about it, very chaste, um, you know, uh, and I thought it was really well done in that sense. Um, But did did that work for you? Because that is a big piece of the end of the film of him going on and, you know, her being caught.
1: I do think that moment was earned because I do think that the... It's understandable that she would see what it would be like to be with somebody who respected her, who treated her as her own person, who had her own hopes and dreams and thoughts, as opposed to Brad. And maybe that's the thing that that doesn't quite click is the time we spend with Delacroix and Beatrix and their crew could have been dedicated toward giving a little more time for Gwendolyn to express her, her feeling. It feels like it was done well, but it could have been a little bit more gradual to have her be less of a sweetheart in the beginning and have her have more of a, um, Just because we're in the holidays, I'll go ahead and and pull this out, pull this out of the the hat, but more of a Scrooge sort of thing where she is sort of more like Brad in the beginning. Like in the beginning, the whole movie, she's just Mm -hmm. adorable. And I don't say that in a dismissive way because she's female. I say that she's adorable in the same way that Matthias is. Right. Uh, Right. um, Yeah. And they're both adorable. It would have been nicer to see her be be more of an a-hole like Brad. And then slowly over time, you see the ice around her heart mm-hmm. melt to the point where she says, oh, my gosh, it's him. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what telegraphs said a little too much is that she's a little too open with Sebastian from the get go. And so it creates that sort of thing where you say, I don't see a situation even from inertia or past history where she would be with Brad. I want to see her in more of a personality mode where I understand that relationship better Hmm. so that it feels even more earned at the end when she chooses Matthias. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not Matthias, but uh, Sebastian. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing because one of the things I felt about the movie and this is one of the places maybe where it could have been just slightly longer was in the relationship aspect because you know she says that with Brad, you know, she saw something in him that nobody else did and it and and there's this thought that you get from that that Brad hasn't always been this completely obsessed with himself and with money as he was or is yeah. now. And that he's become more and more obsessed. And, and what she's really been looking for is the family aspect, you know, because she talks about when she tells the story about, you know, how this this group found each other and how they've been together for so long now. And, and, and they're this they're basically this family. And what I I love, what I did think really worked about the the, the relationship building here between the two of them is how what they care about is the epicness the journey the uh the opportunity to do something that nobody else has done you know um they 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 care about that more than they do the money and yet because this is wrapped around the idea of theft and stealing and it's wrapped around the theft and stealing of money it gets wrapped into this idea of the ring cycle of, you know, that never yeah. ends well, you know, And so uh, that whole mythic nature of all of this plays into this, I think, gr- well. And um, it's the thing that lets you know, okay, well, <laughs> this relationship is doomed, um, just as those relationships in the ring cycle were doomed, um, because the life they've chosen of crime, Um, And theft and the theft of money always leads to ruination and no no matter how good of a heart of a person you are. And and I think that's the beauty of this is like they don't necessarily have bad hearts in the sense of, of connection with people or whatever, but they also are very amoral and that leads them, you know, to these places like... You know the fact that they can rationalize in their brain that it's fine for them to be robbing these places because it's something you know nobody else has ever done. I I don't really think is is um it it it, it shows the the problem of this and and so um yeah I, I loved their relationship I thought it really worked in the film um and mainly I thought it worked because and this is where we'll disagree a little bit i think it works because of the fact that she's shown to be this kind of kind-hearted person who's about the quest and not about the the end product which is the money which is the same place that he is at and so that's what kind of brings them together and so but i yeah. i, I can still see what you're saying And I do think that it's one of those places where maybe just I'm not even talking about 10 minutes. I'm just saying a couple of more minutes, like, you know, with that kind of development with the relationship, especially with Brad um, would have kind of helped this whole thing even more than I think it works. So,
1: yeah, I think we basically we're we're both agreeing just uh, we're coming at it from different angles, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. I, I think that um, one of the things also, you know, undeniably, the cast has uh, charisma and, and they have chemistry. And, I, you know, one thing I can say, though, is one of the things that helps it is I think that actually the score is very, very good. I think that it's very right uh, for this. And it's uh, it's done by Steve Mazzaro. And of course, you know, Hans Zimmer gets a credit as well. But um, what's hysterical to me about the fact that it's uh, Steve Mazzaro is, is he was a composer on The Boss Baby uh, back in 2017, which if anybody has not seen it, is a delightful little movie. It's actually a very delightful little movie uh, to um, uh, for for him to have worked on. But what's really interesting is that he... You know he does the boss baby, but there isn't really anything notable about his uh, his credits other than that. And I I mean, I think he did. Yeah, he did the music as the Magnificent Six in the Amazing Spider-Man Two, which is a movie that I think is best forgotten. Um, But uh, I wanted to ask you. I mean, like, I think Mm -hmm. the music was very good. But I also think that he's not alone in the fact that there are a lot of people here where they don't have credits that are household name credits. I say the name Hans Zimmer, Mm -hmm. 50% of the people go, oh, I know who that is. Uh, Do you think that it helps this movie that it's got such a cast and crew of people who are outside common names, if you will? in 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 not just the genre but american filmmaking
0: i think and i'm I'm glad you brought up the music as we talk about in in all of our uh discussions but you know it's interesting because you know he had he does have a credit in no time to die with um hans zimmer uh not only mm-hmm. that but he's also credited with music in uh what a woman 84 uh as Doom well as, the- as well uh, yep the rhythm section uh dark phoenix lion king uh bvs man of steel i mean you know so he does have credits going back because he's part of the whole network of Hans zimmer yeah zimmer's stable yeah exactly yeah. and i i think he's he's really good here in the sense that he's able to tap into some really fun kind of like zany music to go with the whole heist aspect of the film. And yet it doesn't just feel like another Ocean's 11 type score. Yeah. He's able yeah. to create kind of his own take on that. And I think it works perfectly for this film. And And part of that is the fact that it fits the title character very well. You know, which it's, it's just, it's not quite what you'd expect. Because that's what our title character is, you know? Like Our, our, our main character here in Sebastian is not quite what you'd expect as the lead for a movie for the person for a movie to be about. And I think that that's perfect. Um, And so I really like the way that he he took the score and what he did with it, Um, and I think it's a lot of fun. And it's one of those scores, too, where I think it works so well within the movie, Um, and I haven't really listened to it much outside the film, Um, but I'd be interested to do so to see how it stands up on its own.
1: Yeah, I think this is definitely a score that's going to wind up having to be tied to uh, the visual work. But I also think that um, one of the blessings slash curses with a movie like this is I do think that the, uh, the special and the visual effects are done well enough that they're not particularly noticeable. There's nothing flashy here with the visual effects. And I think that's a They're very good, but nobody's going to talk about them, if that makes sense. You know, where it's like, oh, well, you know, it's this is a good credit for people to have. But I'm never going to point to this movie and say, what great special effects it had. But there's the blood effects. There's the the practical effects. There's the zombie makeup. There's all of this stuff that goes into it. And like you know the whole the whole saying is uh good editing is editing that you that doesn't draw attention to itself and i think that the the visual effects here are in the same category where they're very good uh you know when he's cracking the safe that's cg where they're going into the inside and they're looking around and it's engaging and it's good and it's very you know it's a camera i know the camera can't get there so there's a little bit of a disconnect because it's very obviously CG because I know a camera can't get in there. But did you have a... Do you think that the visual effects were, were appropriately good for this? Do you think that they were a detraction?
0: I think that the beauty of the special effects in this movie is that I don't notice the special effects until we're doing the whole thing with the safe. Yeah. And there, it's a conceit that my mind can allow it to be like, it's fine. Whatever it looks like is fine because that's what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, And I, I think they do it really well. Like you said, they create something engaging, they create something interesting to be looking at. Um, and it helps kind of sell this idea of just how good he is about connecting the sound design to what's happening with the CGI there. But in the end, what's fantastic is that this movie is shot in so many real locations that I'm never drawn out of it by any visual work, which is pretty astonishing. And I, you know, I hate to throw Netflix movies under the bus, but it's astonishing for a Netflix movie to have that be the case because so many Netflix movies, I think, rely on you know kind of cheap CGI to to cover up the fact that they're not really where they're supposed to be and i just again this is a movie where i never feel that so well done them
1: i agree and and when they go to a set it never feels like a set so that's a a nod to yeah, the true. photography mm-hmm. that all of these locations even the safe locations feel like they mm-hmm. actually exist and yeah. i think that's that's very much a testament to the photography there yeah. Absolutely. Um, and getting those things to work.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm really interested to kind of hear because I think we've had, you know, just many really good things to say about this film. And so I'm wondering then where you kind of come down with your ratings for this movie.
1: I uh I wind up giving it the same rating that I gave Army of the Dead, three and a half. Where it's this isn't Something where I'm going to run around saying to people, oh, you've got to see this movie, right? When you hit four, that's when you get into the territory. It, just to explain my ratings, four is something where when somebody says, oh, what about Arnie, Army of Thieves? I'm like, oh, cut the time out. You, you should see that. This is something where I'm going to qualify it and say, you know, if you like this type of movie, you're really going to enjoy it. I had a really good time watching it and i i very much would recommend it overall uh but it's not saying anything it sort of works to its own detriment where it's not saying anything huge it's not making a big statement it's just a good time it's something that i can enjoy and it's something that i'm not going to run back to and rewatch anytime soon but it's that type of movie where if we were still in the cable days and I was walking through a room and Army of Thieves was playing, I'd probably sit down and be like, "Ah, oh, you know, I'll watch a little bit of this and probably wind up going through to the end, if that makes sense. So three and a half. What about
0: you? Yeah, I went with a four with this one because I, I really just enjoyed how well it's done, you know, for a movie like you said, where. There isn't a ton that it's doing that's different or anything. It's just so well polished, and it looks gorgeous. And having seen this movie twice now, I didn't mind watching it again. You know, like and and honestly, it was it, it was in with within a few weeks of of each other, which is pretty astounding. Um, and part of what drew me in and, and really kept me enjoying the viewing was just how beautiful this movie looks uh and i think the the production value of it is so high um it's just that's that's something that you it it's sad to say these days but that's something that's lacking in so many of our two streaming films these days and so yeah, I mean, I give this a four. And not only that, but I think the cast is so enjoyable here and I enjoy watching them and what they're doing together that it's something that I will probably, you know, revisit every once in a while just because it's a fun thing. And, you know, it's that kind of thing where it it's lighthearted enough where I can just kind of put it on and enjoy it without having to, like, really be so engaged to the hilt, you know? Like... And so, and I, I think this is a beautiful way of kind of opening up this this Snyderverse here uh, and, and makes me look forward to more Army of the Dead universe stuff because, you know, we can do different types of films in this universe and they work really well and I enjoy them and I enjoy watching them, so... Yeah, I'm excited for that. And uh hopefully we'll be getting that soon. I know obviously Snyder's working, I think, right now, more ardently on Rebel Moon. But we'll be back with uh, you know, Snyder Cuts when that happens. Um and John, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? Look for Kessel Junkie. It's
1: the it's the brand of mayonnaise that you're looking for on social media k e s s e l j u n k i e and uh letterbox is the most fun uh, you can also find me over on the nerd party network co-hosting a show two shows actually uh one called house lights where we look at the work of directors by different classifications and categories and also on aggressive negotiations a What I feel is a a special Star Wars podcast uh, over there on the Nerd Party, which I co-host with you, good sir, Matthew Rushing.
0: Well, and it is so much fun to be over there with you. And uh, you can find me uh, all over the place under the moniker MattRushing02. Uh, You can find me um, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, uh, you know, all of those type of places. Um, And, of course, you can also find me uh, here on the network Inside the uh, 602 Club, the main show we've got going on in this same feed. So please check that out. Of course, doing uh, assembling Avengers with you there, John, as well as over uh, on Track FM 2, you'll find The Orb, Warp 5, and Literary Tracks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise, and Literary Tracks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then aside from aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. That is a finished show, and we walk through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But as always, thank you so much for joining us.
1: This is 2022. (laughs)